Uh, tonight we're going to pick up where we left off last week. As if you were here, we uh, go ahead and start recording if you haven't done so. Lauren, thank you. Thank you. Um, we talked about really the first seal last week, uh, the first of the four, the four, uh, the, the horsemen, the, the, uh, uh, on the apocalyptic horsemen, whatever, and uh, talked about the first one being that of, of uh, uh, on the white horse, the white horse represents, um, or the white horse was, was for what, anyone that was here? What's the Antichrist? Why, why did we determine it wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ? I gave you like a bunch of answers for that, uh, like seven different reasons why we don't believe it was Jesus Christ. Um, did you get those down, anyone? What's that? He, yeah, he didn't need the bow. I mean, he just spoke the word and just done the sharp sword that comes out of his mouth. That was one of them. Um, also, location, he's in heaven. Uh, and, 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 and opening the seals, not riding a horse on earth. The timing, uh, Jesus does not ride forth to conquer until the end of the tribulation. This is at the beginning. We talked about the description as well. In Revelation chapter 19, John goes into a lot of detail, like six verses of detail, actually describing Christ on a white horse and the armies following. Uh, the crown, we talked about the crown uh, the writer here had a, a Stephanos crown, which uh, there's two kinds of crowns in, in the New Testament. There was a victor's crown or the Stephanos crown and a ruler's crown. Well, Christ wears a ruler's crown, the diadem crown, and not the Stephanos crown as this writer was wearing here. And the weapon, as you mentioned, uh, the writer's carrying a bow. Jesus does not need a bow. He conquers with the word of God. It flashes from his mouth like a two-edged sword. Talked about the followers, the writers that follow would be then war, famine, and death. And, and this, you know, the first horse being conquest, but uh, this is not the kind of company that, that Christ is hanging out with, all right? Uh, when he returns, he'll be riding with the armies of heaven, Revelation 19, 14. And then the enabling, uh, this rider on the, on the white horse, the first one, was given power and a crown. Jesus doesn't need that. He already has that, all right? And so we gave you those seven reasons that we conclude then that Jesus is not the rider. We also covered last week on the front page of the outline uh, Daniel's 70 weeks, the 77s from Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And uh, that's why, again, that when I'm making these copies, this one is not on my computer. That's like cut and paste the old style of, you know, whatever. And so um, that's why when I sent that to Carl and Hope, they didn't have that bottom part on, but I do have a picture of that. But we're going to pick up tonight... Uh, talking about, and we got over the letter A, didn't we, with one, two, and three about deception. Did we cover all three of those? I think we did. Give me a nod from last week, anybody? Basically, I'm just going to quickly go over them, but the uh, three things here, uh, why uh, many people will be deceived on earth, uh, because the Antichrist will deceive people, well, number one, underneath point A, uh, he'll deceive people because they do not love the truth. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 9 through 12, I remember reading that last week. We also talked about, you know, why today people choose to believe lies instead of the truth when it comes down to it. I remember talking about that last week is, is that uh, people don't want to come under God's authority. They don't want to surrender or submit to God. They want to call the shots themselves. 
And so they prefer to live their lives other than submitting to the truth of who Christ is. And it's really a warning, I guess, for us as well, that we need to uh, know the truth and obey the truth. And if we don't know and obey the truth, we too will be open to deception. All right, and that was the, the first part of that. Secondly, number two, just quickly covering this, the Antichrist will deceive people because they follow signs instead of the scriptures. On one hand, yeah, these signs shall follow them that believe, but believers should never chase signs. If you're a sign chaser, you, you're, you're very likely to fall into deception. So don't go chasing signs, uh, but, them, but signs ought to follow us that believe. Uh, spiritual gifts, healing, etc. need to continue until Christ comes. And so signs are good for confirming truth, but Satan will use signs to lead people astray. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.9, uh, speaking of the lawless one, uh, there will be counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Counterfeit, no doubt. Then Revelation chapter 3.13 and 14, and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And so uh, signs make a good witness, but a poor leader, basically. And those who follow truth will see signs, but those who follow signs will follow Satan. And then thirdly, I have my notes start here, but the Antichrist will deceive people because they do not know the true Christ. Uh, Jesus says, those that are his know his voice, my sheep know my voice, etc. Listen to me and, and, and whatnot. Uh, those who follow the true Christ will never follow the false Christ. Uh, these two leaders lead people in opposite directions. Uh, one leads people to holiness and to heaven. The other leads people to sin and to hell. And uh, the best way to avoid following the Antichrist is to follow the true Christ. Jesus Christ, and uh, so we covered that. So that all being said, let's move on into then the other writers, the other seals. Remember, the seals are on a scroll, and the other writers of war, famine, death, and Hades. Uh, as we know, we're studying the seven seals in Revelation 6 and 7, even in chapter 8, verse 1. But uh, let me just go ahead and reread that in chapter 6, and then we'll read chapter 7 in a little bit. But Revelation chapter 6, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come, I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Mili think about it this way. Think of military conquest. We'll get to that in a little bit, a little bit more on that. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the, the second living creature say, Come, then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Uh, number of the, uh, Verse 5, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and wine. Then, verse 7, when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. 
And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. I watched, verse 12, as he opened the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth and made, uh, made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky re, uh, receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Uh, all kinds of things going on in, in the earth. And then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So we'll pause right there, and I'll read chapter 7 as we get closer to that. But uh, get my glasses back here. But looking at then the next three seals, the next three horses, the riders of war, famine, and death, and Hades. Uh, point B on your outline, first page. So first of all, let's just take each one of these. Uh, the, after the white horse came a fiery red one. Uh, with a great sword, he slashed peace from the earth. Think about it. This, this uh, rider and this horse was given the power to take peace away. And when peace is, is not there, there's going to be all kinds of conflict, all kinds of, of uh, war going on. Well, I guess since the beginning of time, there's always been wars, and there will continue to be wars. But it'll be, it'll be escalated in the end of times, uh, and especially as, as, uh, as peace is removed um, Daniel literally saw the kingdom of the Antichrist. He saw this one kingdom twice in two different visions. Daniel 2.40 says this, Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. That's Daniel 2.40. And then also Daniel chapter 7.7 7 is the other vision. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the other former beasts, and it had ten horns, Daniel 7, 7. And so the Antichrist were building a kingdom through conquering and through war. Uh, look closely at what Daniel said about this kingdom. It's as, it's as strong as iron. Daniel 2.40, it smashes everything. As iron breaks things, this kingdom will crush and break all other kingdoms. Uh, it's a kingdom represented by a beast, Daniel 7.7. 7. It's a frightening and a powerful kingdom. It has large iron teeth. It crushes and devours its victims. It tramples under its feet whatever is left. And so the kingdom of the Antichrist is a military kingdom. Once again, think of military conquest. 
when you think of even the four seals, the four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, think of a military kingdom, the Antichrist will rule by force. Uh, he will honor a God of fortresses and power, Daniel 11:38. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign God, Daniel 11:39. He will conquer through war, through smashing and crushing all resistance. So there is the first on the, on the white horse, that being of conquest. Uh, the red horse, that being of war, slashing peace from the earth. Next comes the third seal, that being the black horse. Uh, behind the red horse was a black horse. Its rider was famine. Now, during the famine, a quart of wheat will cost a day's wages, Revelation 6, 6. In the times of the New Testament, a day's wages was a denarius, like the equivalency today of a penny. I mean, that's kind of what it was. But a day's wages then would buy 8 to 12 quarts of wheat. Now, let's break that down. One adult needs about a quart of wheat to eat to eat for each day. Uh, so a quart per adult per day. So imagine how difficult things will be during the tribulation. Uh, people will only make enough money in one day to buy the food they need for that day. Now, now we're not talking about if you have a wife or if you have kids or whatever. So uh, if you're used to buying for a family of six and you only got enough to buy for a family of one, we're going hungry. Somebody's going hungry. And so imagine that um, people will only make enough money to buy the food they need. They'll leave no money for food for the rest of the family. And so when the tribulation occurs, famine comes, and then people will have to share the food of one person. Always think of it this way. In the aftermath of any war, there is always uh, inflation and there is famine, scarcity of food, uh, sanctioning, rationing, uh, food shortages, uh, people starving. I don't know if you followed in the last couple of years, but how many manufacturing or food processing plants have been destroyed in America? I mean, hundreds and hundreds of food processing plants from coast to coast, Midwest, all over, have been pretty much eliminated in America. And, and some to fire and, and don't know the... I was, I'm not a conspiracy person at all, but but it's, it's too much of a coincidence, <laughs> all right, to, to see what's going on there. And, and, and we've all watched just a fraction of what's going to happen during tribulation with some of the shortages that we've seen during, you know, from beginning of COVID, it was toilet paper. You know, it's like, why toilet paper? I don't know. And then uh, next year, it was, I saw that wood was, there's a shortage on wood and getting things that way. And there's been this, I mean, if you, uh, there's been the baby formula, another, another big shortage, and people flying, you know, the government flying in from other nations and stuff. So there's been all this going on, but that's all minuscule compared to what's going to happen in, in the tribulation, the great tribulation, those seven years, the 70th week of Daniel. And so famine. Uh, also notice the famine did not harm the oil and the wine, Revelation 6.6, 6, oil and wine are in the homes of the rich. By, but wheat and barley are in the homes of the poor. The famine will not affect the rich and the poor in the same way. All right, those with a lot of money in the bank might sleep well with full stomachs, but the masses are going to be hurting around the world. This will make it easier for the Antichrist to gain power. Someone said this, changes in government often occur when the poor try to sleep with empty stomachs. Interesting. 
And so we have the black horse, that of famine, with his scales in his hand, so to speak. And then we come to the fourth seal, that being the pale horse. The pale horse followed the Antichrist, the war and famine. Its rider was death. The first four seals will kill a fourth of the people on earth during the tribulation. They will kill through war, famine, plagues, and wild beasts, Revelation 6.8. We had said last week there are like about 8 billion people in the world, uh, but we, I didn't bring it up, and Hope brought this up to me, but uh, there's going to be the removal of the, of the body of Christ, the church. So I don't know how many million or billion that will be. I don't know. Um, you can guess as well as I can. But let's just pretend it's a 25%. So out of 8 billion, if there's uh, 2 billion that are followers of Christ that get raptured up prior to, that means 6 billion left. It's still a fourth of that is still a 1.5 billion. That's still a lot of people, all right? We're not sure the exact numbers, but they are there. Uh, and, uh, and once again, uh, that's going to happen. But a fourth of the population, um, the tribulation will be honestly... The tribulation will be a time of hell on earth. I mean, it's going to be hell on earth. And uh, uh, the ground will be blood, uh, red with blood. The, the quartet of seals will sing a song of tears and death. Let's talk a little bit about point C, the relationship of the seals then to the scroll. And uh, kind of, there's five points I want to bring out here. And so first of all, uh, the, the relationship of the seals to the scroll... Um, don't forget the scroll as we're walking you through the seven seals, all right? Remember the importance of the scroll in Revelation chapter 5. Remember how John wept and wept, you know, is no one worthy? Who, who is worthy to open this? And Jesus Christ steps forward. The Lamb came forward to open the scroll. Uh, the seven seals are not the scroll. They only keep the scroll closed, sealed, all right? Uh, the scroll is much more important than the seals. Uh, there are various opinions as to uh, what the seals mean. Some, think, some people think and some commentators say, well, when a seal is, is opened, then, then the white horse goes forth. And they, then he goes forth until the red horse goes forth. Um, uh, I don't buy into that, I guess, that uh, uh, description. Um, the view I like best and kind of stick with and from what I've read is that the scroll contains the trumpet and the bold judgments. Remember, the scroll has writing on both sides. We don't know what that is specifically, but the scroll has writing on both sides, Revelation 5.1. Perhaps the judgments of the trumpets are on one side and the bold judgments on the other. Uh, many Bible teachers believe that the tribulation does not begin until the Lamb opens literally opens the scroll. And uh, these teach that events do not happen at the moment when the Lamb breaks the seals. However, the seals tell us about the things that will happen once the scroll is opened. Now, seven, uh, five reasons for this, as you can see on your outline there, underneath point C. Number one, the seals introduce us to horses and riders. Uh, but none of these horses are in a race, all right? It seems that John is simply introducing to us some characters uh, that we'll see in the tribulation. Uh, the horses are not running yet. Uh, they're not in action. Therefore, it seems the tribulation does not start with the seals. Uh, when the tribulation begins, these horses will race forward like a fire 
out of control. In other words, all hell is going to break loose. They will leave a trail of tears and graves, but through the seals, John is simply introducing, once again, some of the main characters of the tribulation. Number one. Number two, the seals introduce characters, not events. John saw the four horses and probably five, the fifth one being Hades. Uh, it's a Greek word that refers to the place of, of the afterlife. Hades was following close behind death. Thus, John reminds his readers that the soul and spirit live on after the body dies. The Antichrist, war, famine, and death, and Hades are all closely related. I mean, think about it this way. How often is there conquering without war? How, long, how often is there conquest and, 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 and taking possession of, of something? I mean, think about Putin and Ukraine, Ukraine right now. I mean, how often does that happen? How often is there conquering without war? Can there be war without death? Can there be war without hunger? I mean, the Antichrist, war, famine, and death will ride together. Therefore, we do not think these seals represent separate events. Uh, we do not think there'll be a war for a while and then death for a while. We don't think there'll be war for a while, then famine for a while. The horses and riders are forces, not events. Likewise, the fifth seal shows us there'll be martyrs in the tribulation. The sixth seal shows us people's reaction to the coming judge. The seals are simply showing us the characters and forces that will be together in the tribulation. The seals give us an overview of the seven years, Daniel's 70th week. All right? I want you, I want you to get that point uh, as we're walking through this. Number three, the seven years probably begin with peace, not war. They begin with peace, not war. We looked at the beginning and, and throughout the seventh week a little bit last week, but the first two seals are about the Antichrist in war. Uh, but when does the Antichrist begin to conquer? Daniel tells us that this evil prince makes a covenant with many at the beginning of the seven years, Daniel 9.27. This sounds like a time of peace. Paul also talks about a time of peace in the tribulation. And this is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And so the seven years, no doubt, begin with peace, not war. There's this peace treaty the Antichrist makes. And then number four, point number four, it appears that the Antichrist will be peaceful during the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, the first 1260 days. Uh, both Daniel says he will break the covenant in the middle of the week, Daniel 9.27. Both Daniel and John tell us that the Antichrist has an alliance with ten kings, uh, Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 17. Uh, Daniel writes that the Antichrist conquers three of the ten kings, Daniel 7, 8, and verse 24. When does it happen? It seems that the Antichrist begins to conquer in the middle of the tribulation the three and a half years in. Uh, war, famine, and death are parts of Earth's history, but these evil forces will increase greatly during the final 1,260 days, or the last three and a half years, also known as the Great Tribulation. The whole thing, tribulation, last three and a half years, Great Tribulation. Point five, after the Lamb opens the seventh seal, there is silence in heaven 
for 30 minutes, Revelation 8.1. Now, Revelation 4 and 5 describes all kinds of singing and praising going on. John hears millions of angels singing praises to the Lamb. But when the seventh seal is broken, heaven becomes silent. Why? Up to this time, nothing has happened on earth. The characters have been introduced. Jesus has told us some things to expect. But now, God's about to actually judge the earth. The silence shows us that all of heaven is concerned. A great moment of history has come. The Lamb is about to open the scroll, and then the judgments of the tribulation will begin. That gives you kind of a picture then of what's going to happen and what is happening with, with what's going on here with the first four seals before we get into the fifth and the sixth seals, which is then our next point. Let's talk about that. Then the fifth and sixth seals, Revelation 6, 9 through 17. Um, remember, the Lamb decides when to open each seal. The first four seals were together in a group, but there's a lot of jumping around once we get to seals number five and number six. Because with the fifth seal, John shifts from earth to heaven. Then in the sixth seal, he races all the way to the end of the tribulation. And so let's look at the contrast between the fifth and sixth seals. So first of all, point number A, the fifth seal, the, tri the triumph of the saved in heaven. Uh, verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had kept. So John saw the souls really of faithful martyrs. A martyr is a Greek word that means witness. Uh, Christians who died for Christ, uh, were, he, you know, they, were, they were witnessing or living out what they knew to be true. And so John, John saw them in this, in this sixth or the fifth seal as being under the altar. In the Old Testament, priests often killed a bull as a sacrifice. We've, we've gone through that. Then they poured out its blood at the base of the altar. We're covering even that in Sunday school right now on Sunday mornings. Uh, John compared the martyrs to these Old Testament sacrifices. But, but, it, but it really shows us that martyrs in God's eyes are those who will sacrifice it all, living or dying, but belonging to him. And so John's making that connection with the Old Testament sacrifices. Uh, honestly, believers are either a living or a dying sacrifice. You're either a living or a dying sacrifice to God. Recall that Paul said his death would be an offering to God. Sometimes Christians die because of their faith in Christ. Uh, guess what? These deaths are never an accident that God does not know about. The death of each martyr is special to God. Likewise, in life we are living, we are a living sacrifice to God. So three things about these martyrs. Number one, they were awake in God's presence. They probably came out of the tribulation. They did not have their new body yet. This tells us they had not been in a rapture, uh, but they were not sleeping. John heard them talk. He saw them receive white robes to wear, John, or excuse me, Revelation 6, 9 through 11. Uh, the body may sleep, but the soul is always awake and alive. Paul said that when believers leave the body, they go into the presence of the Lord. Uh, even, even Jesus, the thief you know, on the cross, like today you'll be with me in paradise. And so the moment, think about it this way, the moment of death for the believer is truly a glorious time, a glorious moment. Uh, on uh, one second, you're on, you're on earth. 
the next second, I mean, you're, you're, you're awake in the presence of Jesus. The, that which you've lived for is realized. And I don't know if we can comprehend that yet, but it's going to be awesome. Just saying that, all right? Uh, so they were fully awake in God's presence. Number two, they were eager for the justice of God. The martyrs in heaven asked a question. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Now, there is a time for everything Ecclesiastes tells us. There's a time to forgive. There's a time to pray for justice. I mean, Jesus forgave those who crucified him. Uh, Stephen forgave those who stoned him. But the martyrs in heaven did not speak of forgiveness. They cried out for justice. Uh, this is not a request for personal, uh, for personal revenge because vengeance belongs to God. They know that the time for God to judge the earth is near, but they are praying for judgment to come. Even now, when you and I pray, your kingdom come, you know, your will be done, we are praying for God's judgment to come. Because as long as Satan and sinners rebel on earth, God's will is not complete. Judgment must precede the full coming of his kingdom and of his will. Because we know that, yes, God is merciful, but he is also righteous. And God is a just God. And will not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes, he will. And so they, they, uh, they were crying out, you know, avenge, avenge, whatever. And, and then they were in a state of rest. Thirdly, they were in a state of rest in God's presence. The martyrs asked how long, and they were told to rest a little longer. Revelation 6, 11. The Greek word for rest appears again in Revelation 14, verse 13. Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. See, while we're still on planet Earth, we have a job to do. We're, we ought to be working for the Lord and doing what God's called us to do and called the church to do. So we have a job to do. And, 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 and so we're doing what, what God's called us to do, but there's coming a day when, when we're caught up to meet him in the air, we're with him for all eternity, then it's going to be a time of not of working but of resting and uh, uh, seizing from our work here. Um, but the idea is, is, is that of rest that Jesus talks about or they talked about here in the scriptures. And so we have the fifth seal the triumph of the saved in heaven. Then we move to back page, uh, the sixth seal. The sixth seal, and that is the torment of the lost on earth. The torment of the lost on earth. Now, I think one of the greatest contrasts in the Bible is right here between the fifth and the sixth seals. Because, check this out, those in heaven cry out, avenge us, but those on earth cry out, hide us. I want you to get that. Those in heaven, avenge us, avenge our blood. Those on earth, hide us. Those in heaven are in a state of rest, but those on earth are in a state of fear. So four things about then the sixth seal. The, the, uh, which describes here the end of the tribulation. Number one, the sixth seal describes the end of the tribulation. 
Uh, it's a time immediately before Jesus returns to earth. Uh, let me just quickly compare Matthew 24, uh, 29 through 30, with the sixth seal in Revelation 6, 12 through 16. Uh, first of all, Matthew 24, and I know the wording is a little bit different, but I want you to check out the similarities. Uh, Matthew 24, 29 and 30, immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened. Revelation 6, 12 through 16, the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. So the sun's going to be darkened. Secondly, and the moon will not give its light. Matthew 24, Revelation 6, the whole moon turned blood red. Going back to Matthew 24, the stars will fall from the sky. Revelation 6, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. Uh, some commentators refer this to as a, like a meteor, meteor, meteor shower. Um, uh, so that was stars. Uh, number, number four, and the, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And that's in Matthew 24, Revelation 6. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up. And then the last sign of Matthew 24. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations on earth will mourn. And then Revelation 6, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And so there's, a sim there's similarities there where the sixth seal describes the time just before the return of Jesus Christ. Once again, I know the words are a little bit different from Matthew 24 to Revelation chapter 6, but the sixth seal matches Matthew 24 better than any other passage in Revelation. And so when you think of sixth seal, Revelation 6, think of Matthew 24. Uh, no other passage in Revelation describes the sun turning black, the moon not giving light, the stars falling, and the people on earth mourning. Therefore, we conclude that the sixth seal describes the end of the tribulation. So you can see how John is jumping around. You know, the first four seals, the four horses of the apocalypse, fifth seal, martyrs, sixth seal, we change it out. We're going, jumping, jumping way ahead again. And so, once again, we do not believe that the events happen when Jesus breaks the seals, but the seals give us an overview of the tribulation. All right? Um, moving on, the uh, number two. The, for centuries, the prophets have predicted the day of judgment. I'm going to read to you a lot of scripture here, um, different ones, different prophets of old, uh, predicting a day of wrath, day of judgment. First of all, Isaiah 24, 20 through 22. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it, that it falls never to rise again. In that day the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They'll be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They'll be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. Isaiah 24, 20-22. Jeremiah 4, 24. I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking. All the hills were swaying. Once again, there's going to be uh, the earth and, and, and what's going on with the earth and, and mountains and hills being, being low, lowered and, and flattened and everything else. Uh, we have Joel 2.31. The sun will be turned to darkness, 
and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Nahum 1 verse 5, the mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. And so keep in mind that a lot of these prophets got a glimpse of the future and wrote down what they, what they saw and each has their own little slant, their own little view of that. But it really does tie in with Daniel, with Revelation as well, of what's going to happen. We have uh, Haggai 2, 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Uh, Jesus, Matthew 3, 7. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? The coming wrath is the tribulation. Um, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, 6 through 10. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at uh, all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 or 10. And then one more, and this is uh, 2 Peter 3, 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And so thus the scriptures have warned all sinners about the wrath to come. And we are told in Luke 16, 31, if they do not listen to Moses and all the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And so we have for centuries the prophets. They've been warning, they've been warning, they've been warning and predicting this day of the Lord, this day of wrath, this day of judgment. Number three, underneath point B, fear will come on the greatest to the least. Isaiah 24, 2 says, It'll be the same for priests as for people, for master as for servant, for mistress as for maid, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. Isaiah 24, 2. Also, Revelation 6, 15. Then the, check out this list. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. So there will be, once again, uh, fear. Fear coming on all people from the least to the greatest, from the greatest to the least. No one's excluded. Once again, you know, looking for looking for uh, a place to hide. And then number four, the value of sinners will suddenly change. Now, this does not mean that they will change their mind about repentance and repent, uh, but they will lose their desire to live. Sinners on earth will fear one thing more than death, and that is they will fear the judgment of God and the Lamb. They will fear the judgment of God and the Lamb. Now, sinners value, value money to buy many things on earth, but when Jesus Christ returns, the values of sinners will suddenly change because the most valuable thing to them will be a hole in the ground to hide in. 
Think about that. Where they've had the mansions, they've had the yachts, they've had everything that money can buy, but it ain't going to do them a bit of good. Are you with me? You know, do, you, do you follow this? And so today, you know, what do sinners you know value the most? Well, I put down they value money, they, they value for fame and fortune, uh, notoriety, you know. Uh, they want power, they want control. But in the end, they're going to be looking for a hole in the ground to hide, hide in because they fear the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Let's talk about the purposes of the tribulation. The purposes of the tribulation. First of all, letter A, the tribulation brings judgment. Keep in mind the tribulation is a period of historical change. God uses these seven years to bring the church age to a close. The seven-year period links the past 6,000 years from Eden with the future millennium or 1,000 years in the tribulation, God takes a big step toward the final judgment of sin, sinners, and Satan. And so three purposes, as I said, number one is judgment. The first purpose is to bring judgment where God pours out his wrath in the tribulation. Uh, many will refuse to repent during the tribulation. Uh, once again, as I've, I've covered, it's dangerous to refuse the truth. It's dangerous to refuse the truth. All right, God will begin to judge those who have rejected and refused the truth. Once again, we looked at this last week, but 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12, the coming of the lawless one, being the Antichrist, will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Here it is. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Um, now, some today believe that, that there's going to be those who might reject Jesus today, but they'll be saved in the tribulation. Um, my question is, do you think that Christ rejectors today will wake up after the rapture. I would not depend on it. Why do I say that? Because now is the time of God's favor and salvation. Today is the day. The scriptures teach that those who reject the truth will follow the Antichrist. Those who reject the light of today will have less light tomorrow. So if if people are saying, well, I'm just going to squeeze by by the skin of my teeth, you know, and, and I'm not going to serve God until I see things happening and we know that this is the beginning of that 70th week or the middle when, when the peace treaty is broken with the Antichrist or whatever, then that's when I'm going to turn to God. Uh, I would not count on that. God adds to the diligent, but he subtracts from the neg negligent. All right? And so, uh, yes, many are saved during that uh, final seven years, but most of these are probably people who had little light before the tribulation. All right, we also know that God's hand is going to be on Israel, the Jewish people, bringing them into uh, repentance and confession of the true Messiah as well. And so, first of all, judgment, number one. What's the second purpose of the tribulation? The tribulation turns the hearts of Jews toward the returning Messiah. Uh, that's the second purpose. 
John the Baptist, you recall, came to prepare uh, the, the Jews for Jesus. Likewise, two witnesses will prophesy for 1,260 days. During these days, many Jews will believe in Jesus. Uh, once again, the tribulation is Daniel's 70th week for the Jews. It's the beginning of the time when all Israel will be saved, Romans 11. It begins the time when God will take away the sins of the Jews, Daniel 9, 24, also Romans 11, 27. Uh, you'll also recall that God used a series of plagues at the time he delivered the Jews from Egypt, Exodus 7 through 11. Likewise, there's going to be a series of plagues at the time he delivers the Jews from sin. Revelation 7, 1 through 8 speaks of the 144,000 Jews who are saved during the tribulation. Uh, Revelation 14, 3 and 4 says these 144,000 are offered as first fruits to God. The word, the word first fruit shows us that many more Jews will be saved. All right. God will give the Jews a spirit of repentance in the tribulation. Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. See, God's opened the eyes of Joseph's brothers during the hard times in Egypt. Likewise, he'll be opening the eyes of the Jews in the great tribulation. Um, we're going to consider, let me just go ahead and read then chapter 7, and then I'll answer some questions about the 144,000. All right. Revelation 7. After this, the words after this, a period of time has passed. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. Uh, then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. The tribe of Gad, 12,000. tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of, of Naphtali, 12,000. tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. The tribe of Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. Uh, tribe of Issachar, uh, 12,000. Uh, Zebulun, 12,000. Joseph, 12,000. And then from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and people, and language standing for the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? 
and where did they come from? And John speaking, so I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. I'm going to read just one more verse in chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the sixth seal, or the seventh seal, excuse me, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. So there we have chapter 7 in addition to chapter 6, but we're talking about the 144,000. A lot of questions come up as to who the 144,000 were, and so let's talk about these five questions underneath point B. Who are the 144,000? The Bible says they are Jews who are servants of God. All right, Revelation 7, 3. Many believe they'll be evangelists who preach the good news during the tribulation. Why does God seal them? Question two. Well, the Lord always marks those who belong to him. Uh, after someone believes, God marks that person. Ephesians 1, 13. Having believed, you are marked in him with the seal the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been, you've been marked. You've been marked. Amen. God seals the 144,000 with a mark on their foreheads, Revelation 7, 3. The seals show they belong to God. The seal also keeps them safe from plagues and harm. Now, contrast sealed believers with those who take the mark of Satan, Satan's mark, and belong to him. Once again, Satan doesn't have an original bone in his body. Everything he does, he imitates. All right. One student asked why the angels held back the winds during the sealing of the 144,000. A joking teacher said, did you ever try to seal 144,000 Jews on a windy day? All right. But the truth is that the winds represent the storm and the plagues of the tribulation. An angel simply holds back the coming storm until the 144,000 are sealed. Two, three. Why is the tribe of Dan left out of John's list of the 12 tribes? I mean, the normal list of tribes, you'll find that in Numbers chapter 2, verses 1 through 33. Dan, you recall, was the only tribe that did not claim the inheritance that God planned in the promised land. And yet, even though Dan's not listed here, Ezekiel 48, 1 does see hope for Dan in the end. But it's not mentioned here. And, and probably because it was the only tribe that did not claim the inheritance that God had promised, planned in the promised land. Uh, four, why is Joseph listed instead of Ephraim? Well, Joseph is usually represented by his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. However, in John's list, Joseph, Joseph's name occurs instead of, instead of his sons. Joseph and Ephraim are closely linked. Uh, it's okay, no doubt. Uh, John's not making a big deal out of it. Just uh, he's linking the father with the son is all. And that's why Joseph is mentioned there. And then why is Levi included in the lost, in, in, in the lost of, what is it, lost or last? 
uh, list. It should be a list. Typo. Making a correction. I always check this too. Why is Levi included in the list of the 12 tribes? Under the Old Covenant, Levi, you recall, represented the 12 tribes spiritually. Levi was set apart for God's work. Uh, they did not receive an earthly share of Canaan. Uh, the tribe of Levi did not appear in the list of the 12 tribes in Canaan, but the covenant, the Old Covenant passed away. Now God has made all believers priests, and Jesus is the Lamb sacrificed for our sin, Therefore, Israel no longer needs a tribe to represent them spiritually, so Levi is now listed like any other tribe. Uh, I read Dr. Stanley Horton's uh, chapter on this today, his uh, commentary on Revelation. He gets into a little bit deeper. I don't have that with me, but it was good as well. But just kind of sharing some of that. You know, why is Dan not listed? Talked about that. Why is Levi listed? You know, why is Joseph's name there? And, and so he deals with all that as well. And then uh, that was the, the 144,000. Uh, the tribulation, last point. The tribulation tests sinners. Uh, these seven years are to test those who live on the earth. Revelation 3.10. All believers referred to in the words those... Are believers referred to those who live on the earth? No. The Greek word for live in Revelation 3.10 is used in a, in a strong way. The words those who live on the earth refer to those who are married to the world and its, value, and its values. These people are in the world and of the world. They love the world rather than loving God. Kind of like Lot's wife, they belong to the world. Now, in contrast, believers do not love the world. Friends, we are just strangers in a foreign country. We are just passing through. We are looking for a permanent city built by God himself. In Revelation, the words, those who live on the earth, never refer to believers. Also, there's nine times that the words, those who live on earth, are the inhabitants of the earth, occur in Revelation. These words always refer to the enemies of the church. Now, the purpose of the tribulation is not, not to test believers. God promises to keep believers from the hour of trial. Remember Revelation 3.10. The tribulation is to test unbelievers. Why? I mean, why, why is it? Why does God want to test these sinners? He tests them to see if they'll turn from loving the world to loving him. Revelation 3.10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I'll also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Revelation 3.10, 6.10, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, will you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Revelation 8.13, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Revelation 11:10 The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and they will certainly by, and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. Uh, also Revelation 11:10 because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Revelation 13:8 all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Revelation 13:14 uh, because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. 
And then Revelation 17, 2, uh, with her the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And then Revelation 17, 8, the ninth time that we see this, the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world uh, will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is, now is not, and yet will come. And so bottom line in all this is God doesn't want anyone to perish, right? We know that from the word. His goodness and kindness lead people to repentance. However, when blessings fail to lead sinners to repentance, God often uses hard times to get their attention. All right, throughout history, God has used trials to change the hearts of people. In the period of the judges, for example, God used trials. When Israel turned away from him, he used war, slavery, and famine to turn their hearts from earth to heaven once again. Later, in the period of the kings, God uses trials again. He sent Assyria and Babylon to fight against Israel. Why? Because he wanted to turn their hearts from earth to heaven. And so what is God's purpose for using plagues and tribulation? Consider the test of the tribulation. God changes the earth to change people's attitude towards the earth. He allows war instead of peace. He allows famine instead of feast. He turns earth's beautiful rivers and lakes to blood. He destroys earth's trees and grass with hail. So, do sinners still love living on earth more than serving God? The test continues. He changes the earth's sweet water to bitter water. He replaces health with sores, uh, with, with, right here. He replaces health with sores, pain, and death. Do sinners still love living on earth more than they love God? He causes the sun that warms the earth to scorch and burn people. He, remo- he removes beauty pleasure, health, and security from the earth. Some on earth become harder and fill the test. They curse God, but others will change their attitude toward earth. They will pass the test, and they will call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, John saw a multitude that no one could count. It'll be a large number. These people were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They passed the test of the tribulation, the tribulation saints. Uh, The prophet Joel saw God's final effort, and I'll close with this, God's final effort to change the hearts of sinners. He saw the trials that God would send during the tribulation. In this passage, notice the invitation in the tribulation. I've always taken this passage as Pentecost and, and fulfillment of God pouring out a spirit. But look at the context of this. This is uh, Joel 2, 28 through 32. Also cross-reference Acts 2, 17 through 21. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Remember, Pentecost, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It goes on. In context of pouring out the Holy Ghost, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. 
we're talking about tribulation times. So once again, this prophet as well as other prophets did not see the gap. We talked about the gap last week in the 77s, um, but, but this is in, in context talking about tribulation. And it said, uh, the sun will turn to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And, here's a promise, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For, Mount, for on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Think of it this way. The tribulation is severe mercy. God's one more time trying to get a hold of people. Many won't turn their hearts toward him. Many will be afraid of one thing, and that is his wrath, and they will hide. They will try to hide themselves. They'll call it the rocks fall on us. They'll try, you know, suicidal kind of thing. But many will call on the name of the Lord. And so the tribulation is severe mercy. These seven years will be a test for those who live on the earth. Many Jews and Gentiles will call on the name of the Lord during the tribulation. They will move away from the group who lives on the earth. They will become part of the group who die on the earth, many dying for their faith. The tribulation saints, the martyrs, those under the altar, saying how long. There will be a great number that no man can number. So that is then through chapter 7. And I will, it's time at 718. If you have a question, if you have kids, get your kids, pick them up from their classrooms. Um, but if you have any questions, any comments, we've gone through the six seals now. The seventh seal is the introduction to the trumpets and the angels of the trumpets. First of all, here. Say it again. There will be people, I don't know how many, but a multitude that no man can number. Um, but what I was trying to get at earlier is, is if Christians think, if backslidden Christians think that they're going to you know, get right in the tribulation, probably won't happen. Because they're living in deception now, that will continue. And God will give them over to uh, delusion, as, as Thessalonians says. So, and then Jim. If they, those that do call, yes, there will be people saved during the tribulation period. They'll change from those living on the earth to those perhaps dying on the earth. Many of them will die for their faith. Because you think about that, you know, not buying and selling, we'll get into more about that. But uh, um, yes, Arlen. Try, try, yeah, again, yes. Will the majority be of the Jewish heritage? Um, a lot will be. If you go to Romans too.
Right. The two witnesses, the evangelists, yeah. Okay, I would not disagree with you there. I, I would, I would say that. Yeah, I would. From what I've been studying, you're you're on track. Most of the tribulation saints being Jews. If you go to Romans as well, um, Paul Paul deals that with Romans too in the book of Romans as well. The Jewish people. So, but there will be a number that no man can number, uh, even even from the multitude under the altar, sixth seal, uh, fifth seal, fifth seal. Fifth or sixth, what is it? Um, but but basically, there's going to be more added to their number because their number isn't hasn't come to fullness yet. There's going to be more. It says in, in after the uh, uh, fifth seal, the triumph, the uh, triumph of the saved in heaven. And they, they got their white robes at that point, but uh, there'll be more to die yet for their faith, more martyr for their faith. Pretty much so, yeah. And, and it's going to be so. I mean, when you take when when peace is removed, and and uh, um, people start receiving the mark of the beast, and you got famine, you got everything else going on, it will be as I said, and I try to say it, it's going to be hell on earth, and it'll be very 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 difficult times. Well, yeah. There's no other way to God except through Christ. So, so yes. Oh yeah, there'll be some. It goes down to personal choice well, for all of us. We still must come through the blood. We still must have our robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. His righteousness. It's all about Jesus. It's about the Lamb. And only the Lamb is worthy. That's the way I read it. Anyone else want to add to that? Or? Oh, this is, this is that's, that's what I said. The, the tribulation is severe mercy. It's, it's God's one more time, you know, casting that net out there, giving people a chance. And, and not all will take that chance. I just can't imagine how hellish it'll be of people trying to hide from the wrath of God. And, and I mean, rich and old, like, all, all people of all walks of life. And so it's like, okay. And that's why I always I kind of tongue-in-cheek say this, but, but the world today mocks and laughs at Christians and Christianity and God and, and whatever, and they have no clue what's going to happen. And they will. Jesus to the television and made you think 
get your essence because you've got a problem. I don't want to be you on Judgment Day. I, I don't have an opinion either way. Um, I watched the game first time in three years. I watched a football game, and it was a great football game. Um, I enjoyed watching the game. Uh, halftime and the ads and the commercials were just kind of there. I didn't, you know, I'm not a Rihanna, whoever it is, fan at all. Um, just give me old time rock and roll, the kind of music that soothes my soul. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm not a hip hop person, just not, never will be. Um, but uh, um, I thought that it's the first time I've heard Chris Stapleton sing. Wow, the dude can sing, and he he, he made me proud. Just just wow, and seeing the coach in tears, and it's like okay, that's this is good, you know, and so. Um, as I'll share Sunday, I'm learning not to have an opinion on everything I don't need to have an opinion on. And some things just aren't worth my time or worth my chase. <laughs> just it's what it is. And so, and I don't have to put everything on Facebook either. <laughs> it's okay too. <laughs> and so, anyway, um, next week, Rome, or excuse me, Romans, Revelation chapter 8, we'll pick up with the seventh seal, which then goes into the trumpet judgments. Remember the scroll, trumpets and bowls or vials, both sides of the scroll written on, and uh, once the seals are broke, then, then, then comes the other judgments.